In the 2021 college football season that has already seen a plethora of upsets, especially in the Pac-12, a team such as the Sun Devils does not have to apologize for dominating last Saturday, perhaps the weakest team in the entire conference in the Colorado Buffaloes. Yet, when you literally slice like a hot knife through butter against such an opponent, how much do you really learn about yourself, especially on the doorstep of one of your toughest league games all season long, a road trip to UCLA? In this week's episode of the Devils Junkies podcast, we will review the 35-13 ASU win over Colorado and take a look at that intriguing matchup against the Bruins and what can we possibly expect from both teams in this epic Pac-12 South showdown. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get this thing started. I was living in a devil town. I didn't know it was a devil town. Oh Lord, it really brings me down about the devil town. Welcome to the Devil's Junkies Podcast. I'm your host and devilsdigest.com publisher, Hode Rubino. When ASU set the bar so low with that disappointing loss on the road to BYU a couple weeks ago, a game that had no shortage of miscues, penalties, and total lack of discipline, there was nowhere but for Arizona State to go up from that performance. And as I mentioned, previewing the Colorado game that the Buffaloes is exactly what the doctor had ordered when you're looking for a bounce back win, a win to really feel good about yourself. So before we get into what this win may or may not mean in the grand scheme of things, let's just review what ASU was able to accomplish last weekend. And again, there's no need for ASU to really minimize the effort that it did put forward having 439 yards of total offense, 272 yards passing. And we talked in so many previous podcasts and other features on my website, devilsdigest.com, about the passing game really needing to get back on track, really being a complement to a great rushing game. And maybe for the first time this season, we actually got to witness that in action ASU has 272 yards passing, 167 yards rushing, maybe a little low on the rushing side, but when you uh, talk about uh, the best passing game effort of the year, I think that's one quote-unquote concession that you really have to take. Uh, I really thought that the passing game did show some some creativity. Wide receiver Ricky Paracel throws for a 30-yard a, a touchdown. Uh, Jenny Daniels, even though he did not have any touchdown passes, also did not have any interceptions. One element that he did have to clean up from that BYU loss, Janet Daniels goals 18 out of 25 for 236 yards, a, a pretty clean game. Uh, I know that there definitely were some throws that were way too high, even to the 6'7 uh, wide receiver uh, Johnny Wilson and Daniels, to his credit, as well as the coaches, did address that as an area that does need to be cleaned up. So I'm curious to see if that is a facet that is corrected in short order ahead of this UCLA game. And I think it's going to be a very crucial element in that game. And we'll talk about that later on in the podcast. But overall, I really think that the passing game was clicking probably the best it has all year long and you can talk about an opponent such as Colorado that is hurting on many fronts on both sides of the ball but 
One interesting stat that Colorado had going into this ASU game is the fact that they have yet to yield more than 200 yards passing to any of their opponents, even though they came into Tempe with a 1-2 and two record. But they, when they left Tempe with a 1-3 and three record following this loss, it was actually the first time all year long which they did give up over 200 yards passing. And again, to an ASU team that uh, their aerial attack, let's say, was not one that is really scaring opposing defensive coordinators on tape. So I think that that was definitely not a small feat uh, by Arizona State, especially on a night where the rushing game did take some time to get going. Uh, had a pretty uh, pedestrian uh, first half. Uh, it was another game where they did not have the services of Diamante Tranium. And much like the BYU game, I think it really had more of an effect on a running back such as Rashad White, uh, who really had probably his worst game statistically as becoming a Sun Devil, 11 carries for 37 yards. But Daniel Angada, uh, who was, again, the number two running back in this contest, much like the week before on the road at BYU, uh, pretty solid effort, seven carries uh, for, for 33 yards. Uh, probably the most notable uh, stat in the rushing department was Jaden Daniels rushing seven times for 75 yards, and he did not have any sacks to offset those rushing numbers. So definitely good effort by the ASU quarterback uh, picking up the slack in the rushing game. And the biggest uh, stat maybe of them all is uh, wide receiver Elijah Badger scoring on a 17-yard end around his first touch ever as a Sun Devil. As you recall, uh, Badger had to uh, redshirt uh, due to academics in 2020 and due to injury, did not get to play until that road game at BYU where he did not have any touches. And in and in his first touch ever as a Sun Devil, he runs for 17 yards and a touchdown against Colorado. So that was uh, good to see uh, from that aspect, a young player uh, gaining confidence with that play. Uh, when you look at the uh, ASU receiving game, Rashad White, as much as he struggled uh, on the ground, was absolutely formidable as a wide receiver with uh, five catches for 70 yards, uh, scored a touchdown. And I really liked what I saw from L.B. Buckley Shelton and Johnny Wilson, both uh, second-year uh, wide receivers, players that I think may have been affected more than any other newcomer uh, on the team in that COVID 2020 season. And both of them uh, do have a career high uh, in, re- in reception yards. L.B. Buckley Shelton, four receptions, 76 yards. Johnny Wilson, four receptions, 70 yards, as I mentioned a couple of minutes ago. If uh, Jaden Daniels does not uh, misfire a couple times in the ball's thrown in Wilson's vicinity, I think Wilson uh, definitely could have eclipsed the, the, the century mark against against Colorado. Uh, Curtis Hodges, the ASU tight end, continues uh, really to save his best for last in his last go-around in Tempe. Uh, has another solid night, uh, two receptions for 38 yards for the senior tight end. So you're really seeing a lot of promising signs from this receiving game. Even in a loss to BYU, I mentioned that you saw this component of the ASU offense start taking strides in the in the right direction. There may be baby steps, but still baby steps in the right direction. And I think that against Colorado, we saw even more progression in that manner, offensive coordinator Zach Hill talked about Jaden Daniels probably feeling uh, the most comfortable as he ever, as he ever has been with this group of mostly 
young wide receivers, and it is imperative for this passing game, especially on nights like you had against Colorado where the running game does take a little time to get going, uh, to have the passing game play at a pretty high level and not have the offense stall at home against one of the worst teams, if not the worst, in the entire Pac-12. I also like the fact that the ASU offense really did clean up its act when it came to penalties. And sure, uh, the last thing you would expect from ASU's offensive line in Sun Devil Stadium is to have a handful of full start penalties like they did in Provo a couple weeks ago, let alone having three full starts in a row like they did have against BYU. But nonetheless, I think just the overall cleaner, more disciplined game was really in order for the entire team, but also the but also the ASU offense in specific. And in that instance, I really think the mission accomplished. And even though this wasn't what one would call a shock and awe performance by the offense, even though they did score 35 points, seven points in each of the first three quarters and 14 in the last period. So it may didn't have a feel of an offensive domination but I just felt that it really was effective. As I mentioned, the uh, passing game was able to pick up the slack when the running game was struggling. And then the second half, the script somewhat flipped where the running game was more dominant and the passing game really didn't have to uh, labor that much, if you will, like they did in the first half. So this is definitely a good foundation for the offense to build upon. It was a rough outing against BYU, and you could say in some respects the first two games of the season against Southern Utah and against UNLV were not all that impressive uh, by the offense for the most part. But here against Colorado, against a Pac-12 opponent, I felt that the offense really looked just more in sync. And seeing the passing game move in the right direction, even though it may not be leaps and bounds from week to week, is still... A very good sign for the ASU coaching staff and the fan base for that matter. Moving over to the ASU defense, and I'm sure that this ASU group was absolutely licking their chops ahead of this Colorado matchup. Ultimately, they're playing a Buffalo team that got shut out the week earlier against Minnesota, and this happened at home in in Boulder. And this was the same Minnesota team that just a week later lost at home to Bowling Green, so that probably put in perspective the talent level or lack thereof when it comes to the Colorado offense. And sure enough, their quarterback, Brendan Lewis, horrendous day. There's really no other way to describe that. Seven out of 17 for 67 yards. The ASU secondary absolutely suffocated uh, the, the, the Colorado wide receivers and really did a great job over there. When it came to the running game, that's probably one area of concern. And on the one hand, okay, when you play an opponent, as bad as it may be, if their passing game is not even close to being at an average level, sometimes a running game can compensate for that and bail them out, if you will. And that's what really happened over here against Colorado, 183 yards on the ground, and uh, ASU did have three sacks. It did have eight tackles for a loss. So when you look at the numbers that Colorado was able to put, despite the defensive numbers that the Sun Devils were able to post, that's really uh, kind of interesting in a bad way to see Colorado have as much success as they did. 
And really, uh, a lot of it uh, was attributed to the only touchdown that Colorado scored. They came blazing out of the gates in the second half, had a eight-play drive for 75 yards, and the lion's share of those yards were on the ground. So really caught ASU on its heels, and that scoring drive was really nothing but ground and pound. But give ASU credit, the, the next uh, three possessions – Colorado did have to punt. Two of those possessions were three and out. So I don't know if you would call that a wake-up call really early in the second half, but the ASU defense went back to dominating the opponent just like they did pretty much for the entire first half. And I'm not offering the next point as an excuse, but maybe more of an explanation. And that's the fact that ASU, partly because of injuries and probably because they really want to give their younger players as much experience as possible. Did actually play a lot of newcomers, a lot of second-year players who really didn't get to play that much in the 2020 season. So I would say definitely in the second half, mostly, when you saw the Colorado offense come to life, so to speak, there were a lot of young and inexperienced players for pretty long stretches during those drives. So it's one of those vicious learning curves that the players themselves have to go through that the entire team has to endure. But I do feel that a lot of young players will be better for it. And we saw Garen Stansbury and Joe Moore, young defensive lineman, BJ Green, who got ejected for targeting, but another young defensive lineman that slowly but surely is really asserting himself in the two deep for ASU. We saw linebacker Eric Gentry with a couple good plays. So, even though you had the veteran linebackers that led the charge in terms of the number of tackles for ASU, Merlin Robertson, Darian Butler, Kyle Soley, it was good to see those young players uh, really step up. Also in the secondary, I should mention some other inexperienced players that I thought really made an impact, Tommy Hill and Mason Williams at cornerback. All in all, I see that as the cherry on the cake when not only did you get a convincing win, a Pac-12 win, but you're able to play so many players that are seldom used that now when a coach critiques their performance or they can even do a self-critique of their own for a change, they're looking at game film and they're looking at several snaps rather than seeing what they did or did not do right in practice. So I think it's really worth its weight in gold to have all those young players play and for the most part really play well and really curious to see how much there are used during the rest of the 2021 season. Defensive coordinator Antonio Pierre said after the game that we're not a school that redshirts players, and I don't think he was really even half-jokingly when, when, he, when he did say that because we know that there's going to be a lot of players, especially on defense, that are not going to be back for one reason or another in the 2022 season. So I don't think ASC even has the luxury or a prevailing thought that they need to really try and avoid taking off the retro tag over so many players on this side of the ball. I think it's imperative that those players get as much experience as possible. The earlier, the better, because really, I think the tests are only going to get more stringier later on in the year. So good to see uh, so many young players play and play well for the Sun Devils on defense. So that's going to put a bow on how ASU performed against Colorado, what our takeaways are from the Sun Devils Pac-12 opener. And now let's move on to talk 
to, again, a game that I described as an epic Pac-12 South showdown, ASU at UCLA, this Saturday at the Rose Bowl. Ever since head coach Chip Kelly arrived in Westwood ahead of the 2018 season, a lot of folks were waiting for this UCLA team to be a more dominant force in the Pac-12 South, especially on offense, because after all, that was Chip Kelly's calling card when he was a head coach at Oregon several years ago. And it's been a very slow and methodical and maybe even painful building process for this Bruin program. But it looks like it is finally reaping the benefits here in the 2021 season. A 3-1 and record for the Bruins, who are ranked 20th in the AP poll coming into Saturday's matchup. Had the big win against an LSU team, which, frankly, was probably way overrated being number 16 at the time. But nonetheless, definitely a signature win for UCLA. Uh, they did have a bye week after that game, and then when they faced uh, Fresno State at home, um, had the letdown that probably many of the Bruin faithful were fearing that would would happen. Now, coincidentally, Fresno State is now a top 25 team themselves, so this maybe doesn't look as a horrible loss uh, to the Bruins, even though it did take place at home. But uh, give credit to UCLA. The next week they played at Stanford, a team that's been able to be somewhat surprising early on, obviously had the big win at USC a couple weeks ago, and UCLA was able to beat Stanford. So the Bruins coming into this epic Pac-12 South showdown with the Sun Devils are definitely coming with some momentum, maybe some of the swagger that they lost in that loss to Fresno State they were able to regain back. Uh, it's a team that, as you expect from a Chip Kelly team, uh, pretty explosive, uh, scoring uh, over 38 points on average, uh, averaging over 434 yards of offense, pretty balanced, I would say even dangerously balanced between the pass and the rush, 234.3 yards passing, uh, 200 yards on the dot rushing. So uh, this is definitely a team that if you're the ASU defense, you have to be expecting anything and everything. They're led by their quarterback, Dorian Thompson Robinson, somebody who seems like has been in the league for 20 years or so. And I don't know if an enigmatic quarterback might be an unfair term to describe DTR, but somebody who has a unfavorable balance of great plays with some head-scratching plays. But overall, uh, when you look at what he's able to accomplish uh, so far through four games, 919 passing yards, uh, only one interception, 11, uh, 11 touchdowns, so... Overall, I think it wouldn't be a stretch to say that not only is this the most talented quarterback the ASU defense has faced to date in this 2021 season, but when it's all said and done, actually might be the best quarterback they're going to face all season long, at least in the regular season. Much like the Sun Devil offense, this is a Bruin team that loves to run the ball and does so very effectively. UCLA absolutely hit the jackpot in the transfer portal where Michigan running back Zach Charbonnet, somebody who I heard a lot of glowing reviews uh, back in spring practice from 
a UCLA beat writer definitely is living up to some high accolades already been put out there in the preseason. Uh, he's averaging just under eight yards per rush, has uh, seven, seven rushing touchdowns. Overall, in terms of all-purpose yards, has close to 500 yards after four games. So an absolute offensive weapon and probably a major headache for any defensive coordinator to deal with on, on, on any given Saturday. And they have somewhat of a one-two punch, just like the Sun Devils do, because behind them, uh, they got another running back, uh, Britton Brown, who uh, averages over five and a half yards uh, per rush, uh, scored two touchdowns, and is able to effectively take the load off of Charbonnet when needed. And uh, Dorian Thompson-Robinson is obviously one of the better, maybe even the best dual threat quarterback in the Pac-12. And we did see ASU, even in a win, against Colorado, definitely in a loss to BYU, and even in a win against UNLV, if you want to go that far back, that it has taken this ASU defense a while to figure out mobile quarterbacks and how to contain them. So you'd like to think that the experience that they really had in the last three weeks can somewhat prepare them to what Dorian Thompson-Robinson can present in terms of challenging this unit on the ground. So I think it's definitely going to have to be a lot of patience exercised by this ASU defense. They talk so much about having the clean eyes, making sure that they're not deceived by pre-snap motions. And Chip Kelly is an absolute master of that. And you can bet your bottom dollar that against a very good ASU defense, he's trying to even get more creative and really maybe throw the kitchen sink when it comes to all the bells and whistles that this UCLA offense has. So very curious to see how ASU does deal with the UCLA rushing attack. It's going to be one heck of a challenge without a doubt, and maybe even the tipping point as to whether ASU can come out victorious or not. And I don't want to minimize the UCLA passing offense, but... You wonder if ASU, who's right now ranked fifth in the nation in passing defense, can effectively deal with the UCLA aerial attack, which is led by wide receiver uh, Kyle Phillips, who uh, has just under 300 yards receiving, but has already scored uh, five touchdowns. And by the way, Phillips is definitely one player you want to keep an eye on in punt returns. He averages over 35 yards and just four punt returns this year. So that is... Definitely one of those maybe under-the-radar X factors that can really affect the game because he is definitely capable of giving an already dangerous UCLA offense some great field position uh, throughout the contest. And UCLA, really, ever since Chip Kelly arrived there, has been able to produce some really good uh, tight ends that are integral part of their passing offense. And their tight end, uh, Greg Dulich, uh, only has one touchdown, 177 receiving yards on the season. But he's definitely one player that can explode at any given moment. And I know that ASU, especially in the loss against BYU, did have issues with the Cougars tight end in that contest. who actually scored two touchdowns on that night. So when you talk about, as I mentioned, previous contests preparing ASU, for such a pivotal game against UCLA, you would hope that the lessons hopefully learned from that BYU game in terms of tight end coverage can be applied Saturday night at the Rose Bowl. 
it goes without saying that the ASU defense is definitely going to take its chances with the UCLA passing attack as long as they can do a fairly good job in keeping the rushing game for UCLA in check. We did see Dorian Thompson-Robinson hurt his shoulder in the Stanford game look like in a pretty significant manner. And as we're recording this podcast, looks like he is practicing as normal, but I'm curious to see how much effect that does have on the UCLA offense uh, first on his throwing motion and his ability to connect with his wide receivers and tight ends, but also how many chances does Dorian Thompson Robinson actually take now running the ball, uh, knowing that he's going to be tackled and tackled hard with a shoulder that I got to believe is certainly less than 100% healthy. So even if he was fully healthy, I think that ASU, again, would gladly take their chances with the UCLA quarterback trying to beat them as long as they can crowd the line of scrimmage and really slow down as much as possible a UCLA rushing attack that can absolutely frustrate the defense to begin with and, and again, really just be the difference in terms of a win or a loss for the Sun Devils. When I look at the other side of the ball and the numbers for the UCLA defense are so polar opposite, I don't think I've ever seen a Pac-12 team, let alone one that's in the top 25, have a defense as absolute night and day between their run defense, ranked fifth in the country, and their pass defense, ranked 126 out of 129 teams, I believe, in the FBS ranks. And if you're ASU offensive coordinator Zach Hill, you look at these numbers, you look at the film, and... You're obviously not going to concede the run from the get-go. This is the bread and butter of the Sun Devil offense, and it's not even close. You are getting DeMonte Trainum back after he did not play for the last three games, so that's a big boost for the offense. And as I mentioned earlier, I think it helps Rashad White play at a much higher level, producing better stats, and definitely can even help a guy like Daniel Angada, who may have a lesser role, right now, but still is armed with a lot of confidence and you don't feel like you have to really push the issue with training him and, and playing him for extended snaps because he probably has some rust to knock off. So I'm really, really curious to see in the biggest test easily this season how the ASU ground attack is able to deal with a very formidable UCLA front seven. But you talk about a UCLA secondary and I'm sure... Part of it is probably maybe a lack of a really good pass rush, even though the front seven is playing very well against the run. And if you're an ASU team that has demonstrated some strides in the passing game, even though you're not going to give up on your running game at all and really try to make sure that you're as balanced as possible, does this UCLA defense entice Zach Hill to take more chances with the passing game, to maybe even be more creative than he has been in the, la- in the last few games because it's a secondary that's very susceptible. And I'm not saying that they played a very weak schedule by any means. I mean, some would say maybe the hardest schedule in the entire Pac-12 to date. But with all the lack of success that the Bruins have had defending the pass, and even though this ASU aerial attack isn't considered to be one of the best in the conference right here, right now. There are enough weapons, and there is a very competent quarterback in Jaden Daniels 
that can inflict some damage on the Bruins. So I'm really curious to see what the balance that Zach Hill is going to look to achieve between the run and the pass. And does he still try to impose his will on the ground? Because if ASU can, especially early in the game, find a lot of success with their ground attack, and here's UCLA thinking that ranked fifth in the country, they can stop anybody, including a very potent running back group from Tempe. And if they're not able to achieve that, you just kind of wonder what it does to, to the psyche of the UCLA defense. And does that, by default, just open more opportunities for the ASU passing game, which, as mentioned, is facing a not intimidating secondary by any means when it comes to the Bruins. So the chess match is really going to be fascinating, I think, to see develop and really curious to see how much emphasis on the run and on the or on the pass Zach Hill is willing or needing to put early in the game and how that approach does change in the second quarter in the second half. So all in all, really intriguing matchups when you break down both the offense and the defense for both of these programs. And myself and my staff will be there Saturday night in the Rose Bowl covering a game that may well decide the Pac-12 South race, even though we're barely into the first weekend of October here, but there definitely could be some long-lasting implications, at least for the 2021 season, when it comes to the outcome of this content. Make sure that you keep it locked on devilsdigest.com. If you're not a premium subscriber, be sure that you're going to be one this week. There's a lot of premium content that's already up there and a lot more premium content in the days leading up to this matchup. So you want to make sure that you don't miss one iota of the great coverage that myself and my staff provide every week of the season. So make sure you sign up today as a premium subscriber at devilsdigest.com. Thanks as always for tuning in and we will talk to you next week.